Richard. Amen. Open your Bibles this morning, and I do hope that you have one to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Thank you for being here today again. I'm sure you've enjoyed the service to this, this point. Uh, what a blessing it is to know that he is risen and that through Christ our name is written in the, book of La- the Lamb's book of life. Amen. Our hope, our future is guaranteed in Christ. And we have an accuser that wants to remind us of our past, don't we? But I'm so excited to know that one day he will be sentenced. He will be departed. And we will no longer have to be aware of him. We will be in our Savior's presence to worship him with all of heaven. And so thank you so much to all that have done something in the service so far. Uh, The kids did a great job. And uh, I got a little fired up there with the whole spelling out Jesus thing. I thought, are we supposed to, let's go, man, let's do it, you know. Uh, but I am excited for, you, for being here this morning, and I appreciate you being here, and I'm excited for what the Lord has for us. And so uh, in just a moment, we're going to get to 1 Corinthians 15, and we were at this passage a few weeks ago, and we talked about this idea of what is the gospel. And this morning, we're going to kind of continue that idea a little bit as we go farther in the passage than we did a few weeks ago. Uh, but this morning is really, it's, it's about all or nothing. It's about all or nothing. See, because the resurrection of Jesus Christ and Easter Sunday, it's an all or nothing kind of thing. It really is. It's an all or nothing kind of thing. And now for some of us, that's fine. We're all or nothing people. But for some of us, we don't like all or nothing, right? Especially when we don't know it's all or nothing. You ever need just one AA battery? And you go to the store to buy a battery and you got to buy a pack of eight or even four is three more than you needed. Okay. You ever go somewhere and you're like, man, I really just need a bag of chips, but I don't want the big bag. I just want a small bag of chips. And you want that, that little bag of chips. And then the only thing they got is a 48 count. Right. And you're like, I don't want all of that. I just want a little something. Okay. If you're like my wife or if you're like most maybe spouses here, um, I'll open a, a can of soda and I'll ask her, follow me now. I'll say to her before I leave the living room. And by the way, we do this. Sunday spouses do this. You're thirsty, but you're sitting in the living room with your spouse and you're watching a show or something. And, and you start to wonder, I wonder if they're going to get up anytime soon to get something to drink. <laughs> so you play that game like, I'll give it a few minutes. And so I went to get up and I just said, would you like something to drink from the kitchen? And she said, no, I'm fine. Now, men, we're men. When we hear, no, I'm fine, that means, no, she's fine. So I go to the kitchen, I get myself a soda. I come back to the living room. I open said can of soda. I set it, after taking a drink, I set it on the table. Between me and her is a table. 37 seconds later, she looks over. Hmm, is that a Mountain Dew? I like Mountain Dew. Reaches over, takes a drink. And I asked the same thing. I said, I thought you said you were fine. And she says this, as though it's a saving grace. She says, I just wanted a... And so all or... No, it's either all or nothing. Okay? Now, for some of you, you're all or nothing people. And I was wanting to help you understand this a little bit better. So I found a little test. Just three little things that help us to know whether we're all or nothing people. Okay, so a little online test. And the internet carried this, so I'm sure it's 100% accurate. Okay? (laughs) If it's on the internet, it's 
true, right? Okay, so all or nothing tests. So don't answer out loud. Don't jab anybody, okay? This is totally personal, okay? To know if you're all or nothing. Either you're dressed to the nines with heels and makeup and for the guys, everything's ironed. Everything's perfect. Hair's all done. You're all in. You're just, I mean, you're just dressed. No matter where you're going, you are just ready and presented well. Or you've been in the same stained sweats for the past four days, and you're beginning to wonder if they've actually fused themselves to your body yet. Okay, so all or nothing. Sweets are even a bigger problem. Because you either withhold yourself completely from giving in to your sweet tooth, you just restraint, you don't give in to that sweet tooth, or you make sure it never wants to be satisfied again. Just all in, all or nothing. When it comes to love, some of you here are not married, some of you are in that, still that phase of young love, okay, dating someone and... You know, the, the, the glaze, the, just the, the little hand, oh, your heart flutters, okay? Get to the point when you're married, you're like, stop touching my hand, okay? <laughs> this is my space, okay? But for some of you, love, when it comes to love, you're all or nothing. You're either ready to walk down the aisle after the very first date. That's extremely creepy, by the way. Don't be that person, Okay? You never start off by saying, I, I heard it said one time, someone said, well, I was dating this girl, and she said, the Lord revealed to me we're going to get married one day. They were dating for like six weeks. He was honest as a man, and he said, hmm, I don't think the Lord's told me that yet. So <laughs> that relationship did not work out. So either you're all in, you're ready to get married after the first date, or you have a gift for finding that one annoying habit and want to give up on the opposite sex all together. No matter who it is, you go on a date and you're like, oh, they're cute, but they do this weird thing with their nostril and it flares. I mean, everything, right? You find that one little thing because you're like, I just, it's got to be perfect, okay? You're all or nothing. Easter is an all or nothing thing. The resurrection of Christ is an all or nothing thing. We're either all in, either it's all true or it's not true at all. There is no middle ground here. There is no, well, I kind of believe and I kind of don't. And we're either all in, it's all or nothing. That's what Paul lays out. The Apostle Paul wrote the letter, 1 Corinthians, which is where you've already turned. And I want to start in chapter 15, verse 12. Chapter 15 and verse 12. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. And he's encouraging them. I'll give you a little background real quick, as you're, some of you are still turning, that's fine, or looking on your device and scrolling there. When Paul writes this letter to the church at Corinth, Corinth is in a, a Roman area. It's a high place of trade. It's, it's a commerce. There's a couple ports here that are very important to trade, and tons of people travel through Corinth. Well, as people are traveling through and commerce is funneling through, and all these different groups of people are coming together, there's all this different idea of religion and philosophy there's a place in 1 Corinthians where it talks about that, that every single day people would either teach or hear a new thing. 
It was all about the new thing and different teachers and people that would come through. And everyone had a view and everyone had an opinion. And, and if your view didn't line up with their philosophy, they would just mock you and ridicule you. And people would stand in the marketplace and just debate and debate and debate. And if I can tell you something, man, this sounds a lot like our world today. Man, get online for just a few minutes and everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's got an idea. Everybody's got a reason. And everybody's truth, we're told by our culture, is somehow equally true. And we're all just kind of, all, we're all really telling the same thing. We're all teaching the same moral code. You see, in Paul's day, it was no different. There was still this kind of, and well, your truth isn't really greater than our truth. They weren't really an all or nothing culture. But Paul's going to lay out and encourage the church in one hand. But he's going to challenge those that would doubt the resurrection in the next. And so look at verse 12. We're going to read down to verse 19. 15, 12 says this. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, that that's the message that's been preached for the time since Christ resurrected and ascended to the writing of 1 Corinthians. Paul saying, now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. That word vain means empty or fruitless. Yea, and we are found false witnesses, or really what he's saying, we're liars. We've actually, we're lying about the things of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up. If so, be that the dead rise not for if the dead are not, rise not, then is not Christ risen or raised? And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, you are still in your sins? Then they also which are fallen asleep or have passed away, that have died in Christ, are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable, most pitied is a way that can be translated. I know Greg prayed for us, but would we bow in a word of prayer and ask God to just show us some things in his word this morning and encourage our hearts together as we look to him, desiring to put our faith and trust in the word of God. Lord, we thank you for this morning. Father, we thank you for the resurrection. We pray, Lord, that we would walk through this all or nothing topic and understand deeper what you'd have for us. Father, help us to step out by faith, Lord, to trust you more. But Father, if there's somebody here that has never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and I pray again, that, Holy Spirit, you would convict them of sin and righteousness. It's not my words. I can say nothing that will draw them. You draw them through the working of, and the power of your Spirit. So I pray that we'd be drawn to you. I pray that we'd be encouraged by you. I pray that we would know you as our Savior, trusting in you and in you alone. And, Lord, if there's somebody here that is still fighting that, I pray by the end of this message that they will just open themselves up to you and decide to believe and trust in Christ today, because today could be the day of salvation for them. Lord, thank you for all that you've done already. What a, what a praise it is to just worship you and to sing songs to you and to hear songs sung. Thank you, Father. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul lays out a pretty extreme all or nothing, and it relates to your belief about Christ and his resurrection. You see, the truth is, we don't choose to follow Christ as Christians because it makes our life easier. All the Christians said, amen. Being a Christian does not mean your life is easier. We do not follow Christ or choose to put our faith and trust in Christ because it's always what makes the most sense. We do not follow Christ because it benefits me individually the most. 
in this world. We choose to follow Christ because Christ is the one who rose from the dead. Christ is the one who said to follow him, to enter his heaven, to put our faith and trust in him for the forgiveness of sins. And that alone is why we follow Christ, because he is the only one that has ever rose from the grave. He is the only one that has ever said, I am the resurrection and the life, as Mike referred to. That is why we follow Christ, not because he makes our life easier, not because it is the most beneficial to us in this world. It is because he is resurrected. He is the one that conquered sin and death. He is the one that died on the cross. He is the one who said that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. And his faith, or our faith in him is affirmed by his actions in this world. That is why we follow Christ. You see, the resurrection is not just part of Christianity. The resurrection is the foundation of Christianity. It is what holds Christianity together because, as Paul said much more eloquently than I could ever, if there is no resurrection, then everything we've preached about Christ is a lie. And so Paul poses the question, what if there is no resurrection? What if it's all a lie? What if it's false? I want to look at this for just a moment. What if there is no resurrection? What if Christ really did not rise from the dead? Then the first thing we have to realize is there is no hope. There is no hope. If Christ is not risen and everything is a lie, then there is no hope. Then that means this life is all there is. There is no hope of anything beyond this life, this moment. When you lose a loved one and people share words of comfort without hope, they are empty words. They are meaningless. You see, if Christ is not risen, then he lied. And if he lied, then he is not God. And if God actually says in Scripture that Christ rose, then he is no God. This means you cannot trust there is even a heaven because we know God has lied because Christ has not rose from the dead, and he said he did. My mom passed away in 2007 abruptly. And I remember being at the funeral, and many, many, many of you can relate to this. You can connect with this because you've been here standing by the casket at the viewing and people are coming and they're saying so many kind words and loving words, trying to encourage and, and just say, I'm here for you. I'm praying for you. If you need anything, let me know. And there's a hope and this guarantee and all these kind things. You know, if there is no resurrection and there is no hope, then everything they said was worthless. It's meaningless. It means nothing if there is nothing, if there is no heaven, no hope, no guarantee of anything after this, then it's just, that's it. It's gone. When she died, that's it. There is no reuniting with her or any other family members for that reason. There is no hope. We are hopeless. No hope. But not only is there no hope, there is no meaning. There is no meaning Nothing matters in this world. Nothing matters because we are just the results of a cosmic mistake. When this nothing bumped into this nothing, poof, there was something. It's amazing how this works. There's no meaning to anything. It's all just a big oops, a big accident. We came in to be as a cosmic mistake. We crawled out of the ooze. We somehow put on pants, and then we went and ordered a cappuccino from Starbucks, and here we are. There's no meaning to anything. What does it matter? Nothing matters. You can do whatever you want or not do whatever you want. You can work. You cannot work. It literally, those of you that go to work tomorrow, it means nothing. 
There's no, it doesn't matter at all. Your very life means nothing. It doesn't matter. That loved one that you care for, that you give gifts to, that you tell you love, and it doesn't matter. It means nothing. You can do whatever you want. I don't matter. You don't matter. Think about this. If there is no heaven, if there is no resurrection, then it really doesn't matter what we do in this life, does it? I mean, really, even the accomplishments we do, what does that really mean in the big scheme of things? It doesn't mean anything. Helping someone in need means nothing. It benefits you in no way because you're just a bunch of stardust walking around. It doesn't mean anything. Leo Tolstoy, author of War and Peace, as he was getting older and after his great works were well behind him, he said this. My question was the simplest of questions, lying in the soul of every man from the foolish child to the wisest elder. It was a question without an answer to which one cannot live. As I had found by experience, it was, listen now, hear what he says. It was, what will come of what I am doing today or shall do tomorrow? What will come of my whole life? Differently expressed, this question is, why should I live? Why wish for anything or do anything? It can also be expressed thus, is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy? Great author, someone that's credited with some of the greatest literary works in our known history, says towards the end of his life, what is it? really matter. The things I'm doing today, the things I'm doing right now, or I'm going to do tomorrow, when I die, what will keep that from just being obliterated? What does it really matter? 1 Corinthians 15, 32, Paul says it this way. If the dead rise not, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. If it doesn't really matter, then do whatever you want. Live however you want. There is no meaning. There is no hope. There is no intrinsic value to human life. If there is no God, then there is no Christ and no resurrection, then there is no intrinsic value to human life. You see, we do not value all of life equally or another person if there is no God. You see, especially a person that gives no benefit to society should not be Enjoyed, should not be treasured, should not be treated with respect and love. If there is no God and all is pointless, why would we care about protecting the innocent? Why would we care about protecting the diseased? Why would we care about injustice? Why do we get mad when we see someone being taken advantage of if there is no God and there is no point and it's all meaningless and we're all just a big mistake anyway and it's all this evolutionary process Then, in fact, when somebody stronger is taking advantage of somebody weaker, we should stand back and applaud that because that's just survival of the fittest. That's just how it is. Why would we have this innate desire to protect and defend and look out for? Why do we have this in our conscience? If God is not there, there is no resurrection, there's no heaven, it's all a lie, then why do we care? Because it doesn't really matter anyway. There's no value to human life. Without God, we are left to value life based on what a person does for us or the good of the society. 
We should remove those that have diseases or weak ones as to create the best genetic version of us without God. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Did you feel excited, encouraged? The truth is, if it's all a lie, there's no hope. There's no meaning. You might think, well, no, I'm working and I'm building my own home and I'm, I'm providing for my family. But if you're not in Christ and you don't have your eyes on him and it's not for the glory of God, then does it really matter? Because when you die, the bank will just take that house. Your family will fight over your possessions. Trust me, you think, not my family, I've seen it done. If you think the stuff is what you're living for, that stuff is momentary. And it will be taken and can be taken just like that. You see, if there is no God and there is no gospel and there is no point to all of this, then you don't matter. It doesn't matter what you do with other people. Take advantage of someone. Who cares? Why do we get mad? There's no justice. Who cares? But if there is a resurrection... Let me say that again. If there is a resurrection, if Christ really did rise from the dead, if Christ really is going to return, if this book actually is true, then that changes everything. Now, I know you're thinking, well, you know what, Pastor? I don't believe that he rose from the dead. I don't care what these preachers say. I just, I don't believe it. I mean, logically, it doesn't make sense. No one's rose from the dead since. I mean, this account we really have doesn't make a lot of sense. Let me ask you a question. If they made it all up, the disciples, I want you to put yourself in the disciples' shoes, okay? You're a disciple. You're one of the authors of the Word of God. And you're sitting around 30, 40 years later, and you're trying to think, how can we really propagate this belief system that we've created? How can we really create this thing? Let's write some things down. Let's begin to kind of circulate these things among these groups of converts we've had. How would you display yourself in the story? How would you put yourself in the story? Would you put yourself as a key figure? I mean, an important person who did everything right? Or would you write the crazy story that we read in Scripture? Did you ever just read the accounts of these disciples and think, as they're writing it, they're probably like, I don't really want to write this. Do you think Peter read through the early copies of Scripture and was like, mm, that makes me look great. If Peter was so influential in the forming of the early church, don't you think he was like, we're taking that out, we're taking this out. Nope, I didn't do that. Nope, never did that. Denied Christ, never did that. But it's there. Why? Because it's what happened. And they just recorded. Look, this is crazy. I know this doesn't make sense. Think about when they leave after Jesus is crucified, and they all decide, we're just going to go back to fishing because this is too crazy. And they decide to go out, and Jesus meets them. Would you put that in the story if you were writing it to make yourself look good? We quit. We gave up. But you would write it if it's what really happened. No, no, preacher, I don't believe it. I don't believe Jesus rose from the dead. I don't believe he was really dead to begin with, some would say. He didn't really die on the cross. They just thought he was dead. He was in a coma. And he was in this coma, and the Roman soldiers came along, and they saw him and said, oh, he must have died. They took him down, wrapped him up, put him in a tomb for three days. But he wasn't really dead, you see. He was just in a coma, stress and everything. i got to tell you, that's a pretty impressive trick. 
to fool Roman soldiers whose job was to crucify thousands upon thousands of people. And their job was to make sure he's dead, they're dead, before they took him off that cross. That's their job. That's their profession. That would be like tricking somebody in the medical field today. Do you think a nurse would get confused? Mm, Maybe dead. Kind of dead. Not really dead, though. Sort of dead. Then they wrap him in over 100 pounds of grave clothes and put him in a tomb. And three days later, he walks out of the tomb, somehow miraculously rolling back this massive stone in a semi-comatose state, by the way. And I don't know about you, but if I was in a coma and somebody laid me in a cold, dank stone tomb wrapped in 100 pounds of grave clothes with no medical attention, I'm not getting better in that situation. Nope, the coma just took care of itself. Got up, shook off the 100 pounds, rolled back this multi-ton stone, and walked out. Here I am, fresh out of my coma. No signs of any medical problems whatsoever. It's amazing how that works. You might say, oh, no, no, pastor, what it is is he really died. But the women who went to the tomb, isn't that what Mike read to us? The women who went to the tomb, they went to the wrong tomb, see? They didn't go to Joseph's tomb. They went to a different tomb that was being prepared for somebody. And it was early morning. You know, sun's coming up. It's kind of hazy. And they're women, so, you know, directions. Maybe got a little off. I don't know. I'm just saying. I I know no guy in here ever has problems with directions, right? And if we do, we ain't asking. And if you lost, you lying. Are we lost? Oh, no, no. This is a shortcut that I... I learned about this 30 years ago. We're fine. You see a sign. You're heading to Ohio, and you see that sign. Welcome to Canada. Are we lost? Oh, no, no, no. I I thought we'd come north, go around through Pennsylvania, and then go to Ohio. That's what we're just taking the scenic route, you know. But they would say, oh, no, no, pastor, the women were at the wrong tomb. They were just confused. They didn't really understand where they were. Do you think that's really plausible when you think about who these women were and their connection to Christ? I don't think they had any doubt where that tomb was. Now, the disciples came and stole the body. See, that's what really happened. The disciples came at night. These fishermen overpowered these Roman officials, these Roman guards, took the body and hid it. That's what happened. Then the women come in the morning and the body's gone and they run and tell the disciples. And the disciples, surprised, acting, said, oh, let's go look. Here's the only problem with that viewpoint, that every one of the disciples died a martyr's death. That means they died knowing it was a lie. Now, I might live for a lie, but I'm not dying for a lie, especially if I don't know it's a lie. So why would they steal the body amongst themselves, go bury it somewhere else, and say, oh, look, he rose from the dead, and then die a death saying, we will not renounce Christ? You see, there's all kinds of arguments just in Paul's day as there was arguments against the resurrection. But when you really think about them logically, it doesn't line up with what history shows us. The resurrection is history's mystery, as I've heard it called. It's the one thing that we can't refute historically. So what if there is a resurrection? What if there is a resurrection? Are you ready? You can be assured of a couple things. Feel free to be excited about any one of these things at any time. 
If there is a resurrection, guess what? There is hope. What did Paul say? Everyone who has died in Christ perishes if there is no hope. That means if there is a resurrection, then there is hope. This life is not all there is. We have hope that our loved ones are at rest in Christ and will be forever, just as will be one day when we stand with him. We have a hope, a guaranteed assurance that one day we will stand before Christ and be with him as he is. We will be in his presence for all of eternity, praise God, because there is hope today in Christ. There is meaning. What you do matters. Your job, your words, your relationships, your interests, your desires in Christ, they all matter and they make an eternal difference when we surrender them to Jesus Christ. And also there is value in all human life, born and unborn. There is value in all human life. Why? Because we were made in the image of God. We were created by him and for him, that we would know him and spend eternity with him. And so it doesn't matter, weak or old, young, diseased, poor, rich, all life is sacred to God. And so we, as Christians, followers of Christ, we see life as sacred. When you study the history of the church, the church did great things for the world around us. Now, yes, we'll focus on things like the Crusades and look at the violence that was done in the name of Christ. Do not allow the works of a few fanatics dictate to us what Christ actually said to do and who Christ actually said to be. When you look at the history of the church, you see the church starting hospitals. You see the church being the first to take literature to the un. Uh, educated the poor and starting schools and starting universities to educate the poor. There's story after story of a disease coming into a community. The pagans would leave. The, the, the governors would leave. The wealthy would leave. The Christians, the church would go into the areas giving their own lives to serve these that are sick because they understood you matter to God. Your life matters, and I don't care if it costs me mine. I will do whatever is necessary to care for the poor, to care for the needy, because they are valuable and they matter. Christianity is not one of many belief systems in the world that point us to truth. Christianity is the truth. Not because I believe it's the truth, but because of the resurrection, which we find in the Word of God. You see, Christianity provides answers to the four most important questions every human being will ask themselves, whether out loud or internally. Christianity provides answers to the four most important questions of human life. Number one, where did I come from? What is my origin? Where did I come from? Well, in Christ, we understand where did we come from? We were created by God. Second question we ask is, why am I here? What is the purpose of this life? What is the meaning of this life? The truth is to know God personally, through Christ, and to glorify God by enjoying his presence forever. That is the purpose of this life, to know God personally, hear me now, through Christ, and to glorify God by enjoying his presence forever. If you're sitting there wondering, like, I don't know what I'm here for, I don't know why I exist, because you've chased, as Mike said, you chase your career, you chase your finances, you chase and you chase and you chase and you think that'll do it to me. That'll make me feel accomplished. And then you realize when the bank accounts are full and everything's perfect, you're still longing for something. It's so tragic when I hear about celebrities that have seemingly all that could ever be wanted dying 
taking their own life under depression and sadness and sorrow. It just didn't do it for me. I've heard the saying, if you ask a wealthy man, how much more, to, how much more money would it take to make you happy? He'll say confidently, one more dollar. We can never get enough to give us purpose in this life. We need purpose to come from something outside of this world, and that is found in the person of Christ. So where did I come from? What is my origin? You were created by God. Why are you here? To know God personally through Christ and to glorify him by enjoying his presence forever. Number three, how should I live? The idea of morality. To truly understand good and evil, we need an objective source. Every time you get angry about an injustice being done, you are implying that there is a moral law. And if there is a moral law, then there must be a moral law giver, and that is the person of God. To truly understand a good and evil, we need an objective source. And lastly, where am I going? What is my destiny? What is, what is after this? I mean, isn't that the question humanity has struggled with? What happens after this life? The truth is, I have a confident hope that after this life, through Christ, I will be in heaven with him. Not by good works that I have done. Not that I can boast, but I boast in Christ. See, there is a resurrection from the dead. The resurrection of Christ proves he was not just a moral teacher, a good man, or a prophet. It proves he was God, and all that he said is true. So in closing... I want to ask you a question. And I pray that if you're sitting in that seat right now, and I pray that if you've got nothing else out of what I've said today, I pray that you will hear this and decide today that you're going to answer this question for yourself. What do I do with Christ? What do I do? Maybe better, what will I do with Christ? See, now you have knowledge You know that he's rose from the dead. You know that he's God's son. You know that he's God himself. You know that he died on the cross for your sins. You know that he gave his life for you and you can receive his grace right now. Find forgiveness of sins, not in religion or baptism or any other religious work, but in the person of Christ. And if you will make that decision today, the Bible says that you will be saved, not for a moment, for all of eternity. Next week, we're gonna talk about this idea of how do I know for sure that I'm saved for eternity. Does the Bible actually teach such a thing as eternal security? I believe it does, and we'll walk through that next week. But what will you do with Christ today? As you're sitting in this seat right now, and I don't know everybody here, so good to see so many faces, to see some faces I haven't seen in a while, so cool to see. But what will you do with Christ? Maybe you've been to church before, maybe you haven't, maybe you know all this, maybe you don't. Maybe you've heard the gospel before, and I'm good you will be held accountable for your answer to this question. What will you do with Christ today? You see, if God is speaking to you, don't miss this opportunity. He will not force himself upon you. He is pursuing you with his love and grace, wanting nothing more than you and for you to turn to him. So will you let down the walls of pride, fear, unbelief, Do you believe and will you believe that he can save you for all of eternity if you put your faith and trust in him? And to the believer here today, to one that's a Christian that already knows Christ, my challenge to you is simple. Are you living like there's a resurrection? 
Maybe you've received Christ, you know him personally, but I would ask, are you living as though there's a resurrection? Or have you allowed worry and fear and doubt to creep in? And listen, we're all there. Man, I have doubts. I have fears. Man, I love that song that I am no longer a slave to fear. Why? Not because I'm stronger or I've got willpower, but to the glory of God, I am a child of God. And my strength is only found when I am weak. And let me just be transparent for a second. As a pastor, I am very weak. Some of you are like, yeah, I know. I've seen you work out. Not impressed. (laughs) Not what I was talking about. I don't fill out the suit coat like some, so I decided I wouldn't wear my jacket today because some of you guys are just looking stout. (laughs) It's not the strength I'm talking about because, listen, when you trust in those kind of strengths, it could be taken like that. But, man, when we look to Christ for the strength and the peace and the comfort that passes what all understanding, and that is when we'll find strength So if you're a believer today, maybe you would just in a moment come forward and bend a knee and say, God, thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for the foundation on which I build my life. Colossians says that Christ is not part of our life. He is our life. And his resurrection brings us hope. It brings us purpose. It brings us value. We understand greater who we can be in Christ. But if you're here and you don't know Christ, And I'm so glad you're here. But listen, if you leave today the same way you came in, not knowing Christ, you just wasted about an hour and a half of your life. You want to make a difference in what you did in this last hour and a half? Then decide today, I'm going to surrender, open my heart and mind to Christ and receive him as my Savior, not because he makes me or my life better, but because he rose from the dead. And he said, that's the only way to get to heaven. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? As the band comes and they're going to lead us in a song of invitation, I want to encourage you to respond to God this morning as you bow your heads right there where you are. You begin to pray. You begin to seek him and ask him how he would have you respond. Maybe you would come in just a moment and bend a knee at the front and just spend the time in prayer. If you would like to pray with someone, there are those here on the front, my left, your right, and in the center section that would love to pray with you. And so maybe you would come as a man or a woman and you want to come and pray with someone. Maybe you want to come and pray as a husband and wife, as a mom and dad, as a grandma and grandpa, and and just say, God, thank you for the resurrection. God, thank you for the hope, the foundation that I have. I stand on you and you alone. If you don't know Christ, maybe you'd come and ask one of these in the front how you could know Christ today. But it's as simple as just receiving him as Savior, crying out to him, ask him to forgive you of your sins believing he died on the cross for you and rose again and confessing him as Lord and Savior of your life. Lord, I live for you. If you will pray that prayer there in your hearts and genuinely and sincerely confess him as Lord, the Bible says that you can be saved. I know what we think. My sin's too great. I've done too many things. You don't know what I've done. I don't know what you've done, but God does and his grace is greater. And he can save you from that. The Bible says that if we don't know Christ and we die in our sin, we step from this physical world, as Becky sang so beautifully, that God will cry from his throne, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. 
And those outside of Christ that chose to pay for their own sin will be cast into a place called hell. These are not my words. These are God's words. It's not a scare tactic. It's truth. He says, if you don't trust in Christ, you will spend an eternity in a place called hell, separated from God forever. But that's why he came, because he loves you so much. He desires you to know him and spend eternity with him in his heaven. Would you trust him today? Father, thank you for this time. Pray you lead, guide, and direct in all these things and praise you for your resurrection from the grave, the guarantee of life eternal. Bless now this time of invitation. May we respond to you wholeheartedly. No reservations. We'll just surrender. I'm asking you to do all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Would you come and pray? Would you thank him for the resurrection today? Would you come and pray for a loved one that needs Christ? Maybe you want to come and follow him and receive him as Savior. Would you respond to what God is doing as we sing?